Ultra. Welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are nestling into Disney's The Little Mermaid one minute at a time. I'm Kester Dorowski. And I'm Andrew Dorowski. And today we are discussing Minute 58, which begins with the seahorse, Harold, we like to call him, um, finishing his line uh, saying, or Sebastian, they can't find Ariel or Sebastian, and it ends with Ariel pulling Eric through the village, the town square of the village. In this minute, we have King Triton instructing that the search for Ariel and Sebastian continue. No one sleeps until until they're found, and he blames himself for their disappearance. Mostly Ariel's disappearance. Uh, Ariel and Eric leave the palace in a horse-drawn carriage. Flounder asks Sebastian if Eric and Ariel have kissed yet. Uh, Ar- Ariel explores the village um, with Eric. There's a puppet, and she looks underneath the carriage as the carriage is driving. There's just a bunch of different things that happen while they explore the village. Mm-hmm. So, do you have anything you want to start off with? Um, I, I really don't really have anything about the King Triton and Harold scene. It's, I think, a useful insert to make sure that we're remembering mermaid stuff um, as opposed to human stuff. Um, but I don't really have anything to say about it. <laughs> okay, well, I have a couple of things. Okay. First off, in the book that I've mentioned, uh, Part of Your World, uh, Twisted Tale, mm-hmm. the name of the seahorse they have there, his name is Threl. Which is fine. I still want to call him Harold. Well, maybe it's not the same seahorse. Maybe it's, maybe it's another seahorse. Maybe. Maybe maybe it's Harold's son, Threl. I feel like when I was reading the book... You had mentioned, I had mentioned it to you, and then you're like, well, maybe it's not the same seahorse. <laughs> because we like calling him Harold, and he doesn't have a name in the movie, so we're going to go with that and make an excuse. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is with the music. So I listened to Art of the Score, um, which is a different podcast that really touches on music and scoring for different for films. films. Yeah. And Art of the Score did a whole episode on Little Mermaid, and I really enjoyed listening to it, and I wish I had listened to it before. Because they are, like, I think one of them's a composer, and one of them's a professor of music theory, and yes. one of them's a conductor or something, right? Like, it's it, they have really strong credentials for being able to analyze and discuss this stuff. I'm the one who told you about Art of the Score. Yes, so, yes. So I'll brag about it. And them. this episode probably... I don't know when it came out, but it probably wasn't three years ago. It was it was after we had started recording. It was I, I want to say close to a year ago. Okay. Um, they they don't release like super consistent schedule wise. Um, they kind of like get it in their heads to work on one, and then they piece it together. Well, they, and they dive like, deep into yeah, it. Yeah, they so. go really strong, and it's really nice to have people who who have like knowledge to deal with these things because they do some really fun stuff with um the music like one of them is so competent that he can just casually kind of play the tunes and everything and then he's like well what if it's in a different key and he can switch the key 
Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a whole kind of fun mm-hmm. thing. And then, you know, tying things into other stuff that's been yes. from the same composer and, and all that like, sort of stuff. Like, I really liked what they did with Poor Unfortunate Souls and, and other things. But the thing I wanted to talk about was King Triton's score, his his theme, theme in the score. And they they really, they compared King Triton's regal theme to Prince Eric's. And they both... They both seem very regal, especially King Triton's, because he's a king and not a prince. And with King Triton here, well, throughout the film, his is more, you can tell the similarities between his theme and pomp and circumstance, mostly with the bass going down, da, 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 bum. Mm. And here you can really hear it, but it's really saddened down. I don't know if they changed the key or not. I, I need to listen to it again, but I, I just really wanted to point out how they changed his theme so it's a little more like conveying the the um, feeling of, of King Triton But still keeping moment. the theme theme, exactly. right? Yeah. So some, some stuff isn't going to have a lot of intense character themes, but yes. I think, I feel like Alan Menken probably is typically going to be pretty strong on the character themes, and then he's going to just adjust those themes and play with those main themes in um, how he wants to to show the effect on the characters. It's like, okay, like here's King Triton's theme. I'm going to do some adjustments. So it's the sad version or yes. the happy version um, and the same basic stuff. And, he, and, and then those themes are also what you would find in a lot of the main songs. Yeah. Um, like Ariel's theme is going to be the part of your world and, theme. And I think we've mentioned it before, but this is Alan's first score. And yeah. so... Like the the fact that he kind of nailed nailed it on the head how how everything I mean he sounds did is, win an Oscar for yes. this score it's like, really first amazing. time scoring you got it <laughs> yeah I know it's it's really amazing so um, that's one thing I wanted to mention and then a couple things before we get onto the village stuff okay. were a couple things I mentioned I think yesterday about the deleted scenes I went back and and watched them before we recorded this episode. And um, I had mentioned that there was a, a longer advice scene that Sebastian gave Ariel mm-hmm. as she was nestling in, into her bed. And then there was a, a scene that was deleted where he was lost in the castle. And they actually had animated partially those scenes. on. So on our Blu-ray disc, I went and watched them. And in the deleted scene where he's giving advice to Ariel, he's mostly talking to himself. The advice he does is like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? And like... But, like, convincing himself that he's, like, done the right thing. And then the Lost in the Castle, the biggest thing that I saw was he gets chased by Max, which, like... But Max is a smart dog. Yeah, but he... But, like, Max, like, chases after him, not, like, in an angry way, but, like, in a playful way. And Sebastian runs away. And one scene... One... Not scene. One line that he says is, shark with fur. He calls Max a shark with fur. Yes. So I wanted to point that out. Okay. Is that all you have on on underwater elements for, for this sequence? Yes. Okay, so let's get into the village. And the first thing I notice as there's a nice sunrise shot establishing the, the palace, and there is a boat <laughs> parked at the palace. But Eric's ship, it, like, it's it's a ship, right? It's got sails yes. and everything. Eric's, Eric's ship sank. Like, it burned... And died. Right. In the ocean. I assume 
like there definitely wouldn't still be rigging or sails on it at this point, but we could presume that it sinks and it's quite possibly the ship that Eric uses to kill Ursula later in the film. Yes. Um, But we don't know like specifically. I mean, also it blew up. Yes, it did blow up, but he's a prince. So it's, he's got it's, more than he's one got ship. He's got more than one ship. And it's been several days, and it's possible that even if he didn't have more than one ship there, he... It's only been a few days. It's been, like, I know, like but he could have gotten a different ship there pretty yes. quickly. Right. Just could've, from, like... Could have bought one. From, like, his father's kingdom or, or castle or, or something. Dad, my ship blew up. Yeah. So, it like, it's still... So, like, it's been just a couple of days. But, but I feel like in any other establishing shot we've seen of the palace, there was not I don't think there. so, but we could be wrong and, and not have, like, realized this. Because this is, is kind of in the shadow, so... Yeah, it's tucked in. Yeah. But you also see the, like... You kind of see where the tide line is. So this is low tide, so... Yeah, it seems like the palace is built, like, right up against the... Yes. The tide, like, the tide will come up... A portion of the palace. Like, they don't have any windows down low. There's uh, some stairs that go straight to a little, little beach space. And then there's a really high, like, walkway bridge thing. Like, a bridge to a gazebo. And, like, I think that might be for boarding a ship at high tide. Um, Is that where Ariel is during the wedding? No, that seems seems pretty high. I think that's away from the... I think that's more village territory. I don't think that's at the palace. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we'd have to think about that. But it depends on tides and and everything. Um, But so the the ship is, like, nestled into this little section, which seems like a weird place also. Like, I'm confused about who could steer the ship there and then get it anchored and then get off. Yeah. The ship right there. But then again, low tide. So maybe at high tide, there's a convenient place to to disembark um, from the ship. So it's a little a little bit funky. Um, but also, I feel weird about the scale of the ship to the palace. Like, how big everything is. Yeah. The ship seems kind of small, but it seems outfitted like a bigger ship. And, and then, like, how deep is that little alcove that it's tucked into? Yeah, I so there's know. some weird stuff going on, I think. Yeah, there's a little bit of weird stuff, and it doesn't quite. But but like it's part of the together. effect. Of, yeah, like this is a seaside. There's only a couple seconds that you see this, this um, shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when they get when we see Prince Eric and Ariel in the carriage, in the courtyard. The uh the garage <laughs> the the driveway <laughs> the driveway of the castle right so so our establishing shot was like definitely seaside of the palace so there's yes. got to be a village side of the yes. palace and so that we're on the village side and there's gates and there's gates there's a clock and that clock read about eight thirty so they're leaving pretty early pretty early. It's after sunrise. Like, 8.30 is not too crazy early. Yeah. But that's what it seemed like the clock was around 8.30. Yes. And you see Carlotta and Grimsby waving. waving. They're just so excited for Okay. Carlotta's wave is like, uh, like her whole hand is waving together, right? Okay. But Grimsby's hand is like, he's twisting like so-so, kind he's of. He's doing like a so-so yeah. gesture. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. I did not notice that. It's just like, so, so weird. <laughs> that he, I, I just wanted to point out his weird bye hand wave. <laughs> hand gesture. <laughs> yes. Um, guards open the gate, they head out, and 
we get into the, well, they have to ride a little bit to get into the village. This is yes. outside the village. They don't open straight into the village. There's a little bit of distance. More, more, so like a good comparable example would be like Arendelle. Yeah. Frozen, right. You have the castle space and the gates, and then you have really just a walkway bridge. And then you're in the town. Yeah. In the, in the town. I, I combine it with village. It's not a tallage. Um, a it's, it's It's a town or a village or whatever. Right? Yes. And this seems like there is a, a a bumpy rural space before they get into yes. the, the village proper. Not, not a very long space. I'd say it's less than a mile. Before we get into what we see happen and everything, I want to touch base on the music here. Okay. Uh, it is one of the longer underscores of the... Throughout this village sequence? Yeah, it's one yeah, of like, the... like two minutes. Yeah. And Alan was very happy to write some kind of underscore that was longer than like 15, 30 seconds. Well, he, because... could, he could do a montage. Yeah, he could do a montage and it's all one song, uh, which he was used to writing. Whereas with, with which we are, have already talked about this minute is like King Triton's underscore, which is only like a few seconds long. Hmm. Typically the underscores are like in, in little chunks here and there, but this is a whole underscore song. Well, and for the most part, there's no sound effects. So this is doing some Mickey Mousing effects and everything like the, I think the only sound that you get aside from a few spoken parts um, is like clip clop of hooves. Um, yes. And, so everything else is the music's doing the heavy lifting yeah. for narrating, for lack of a better term. You know, like this is, you know, some silent visuals and music accompaniment in a, in a way that, yeah, you yeah. don't get a ton of throughout these movies. Mm-hmm. Like this movie or, or most of the, the Disney movies, a lot of the time you're going to have either song or it's those small scenes yeah. with a lot of speed. And there's a bigger... Um... Mickey Mousing in tomorrow's minute that I'll, I'll touch on tomorrow. But Alan was, Alan Menken was really on his own in underscoring this. So he talked to like some of his composing friends and, and mentors on how to underscore because it was his first underscore. But here he was on his own because this was different. Whereas typically you would underscore to a, an animation film or other film after they've already, like, done a lot of the animation and filming. Yeah, like, scoring comes after. Yes. But they do it, they did Little Mermaid at the same time. And and so they're writing the the music ahead mm-hmm. of animation. So in, in a typical uh, film, like, quite often when they're, like, editing it, even, like, they will, they will maybe get a movie pretty thoroughly edited together and yeah. like timed out and everything before scoring happens scoring can be incredibly difficult yes. because you're matching up all this stuff and like the way the movie's moving and everything it's not going to match up to your time signature time signatures or yeah. your meters and your um your measures and all that sort of stuff like all the like really critical music stuff you have to be really flexible in a way that a composer generally yeah wouldn't be they want the right. music to tell the story and so it's it can be really different um and difficult um but so the what I was trying to say, quite often when uh, a filmmaker is 
editing and like piecing together movie the movie and getting everything together before it gets scored they'll use what's called temp tracks um which is quite often like someone else's score they'll use scores from other movies that they're trying to use as like okay this is the effect we want and they don't have to worry about like copyright concerns because it's very temporary that's why it's a temp track but they will cut in you know um scores from other movies they'll cut in popular music and and all this sort of stuff to say this is the kind of effect that we want this is helping us like pace it out in our heads because yeah. movies have music typically right. um but you're saying that for this they, not not at all that process no, they wrote they wrote demos and they and alan came into storyboarding and every and and animation uh times where where he just played the piano um but specifically for this whole scene he was on his own because no one really underscored a scene like this in a while um before like as it was being animated as it was being filmed Mm -hmm. and he was on his own as well um he in the commentary that i listened to on our blu-ray disc he compared it to like choreography choreographing to a ballet so like yeah it's a very fantasia kind of process Mm -hmm. uh, in this case then yeah exactly and so make everything fit the music, like mm-hmm. he's writing the music and also like talking about, it's like, and then this is going to happen while this part of the music is yeah, happening they're doing and then it they at do. the same time. And then they really collaborate. So, so somewhere it's somewhere between the typical movie scoring process and the Fantasia process where there's a piece of classical music and they have to come up with a story and animate to it. It's like, okay, we're working together. Can you have some music that's, you know, they're going to be in a town square or they're going to be on a carriage and let's yeah. do that. It's like, yeah, this will, this is what the carriage stuff will sound like. We'll piece that together and work together, collaborate yeah, on that. Exactly. That's really different from like either of the two other things, that collaborative yeah. side of it. Yeah. So we've talked about the storyboarding and the commentary just mentioned. And so I wanted to mention it as well. Brandon Chapman storyboarded this whole village sequence to make it quick and fun, but John and Ron in the commentary thought that maybe it was just a little too quick, a little too fast. I agree with that, because I think there's a really, really strong modern comparison to the sequence, and that is Entangled, which is also scored by Alan Menken. Um, But when they get to the the city, right, Mm -hmm. uh, Flynn and Rapunzel have... A, a while where they are exploring the the town space and seeing everything. And it's really similar to this. Like this is showing the city space. This yes. is showing the village. And, and it's, and it's the same way where it's just underscored. There's a little bit of um, sound effect, but not very much. Mm-hmm. It's really just underscoring and cutting to these few different scenes and everything. And I'd say that one's probably twice as long as this. If I had to guess, if nothing else, it definitely feels like it's got more breathing room. Um, and so it, I think that's a, an example of what they probably would have liked more of. Um, right. Because, because very, you know, much the same effect, the same type of scene, um, the same territory in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got some of the same creative people working on it, right? With Alan Menken doing the... The music for it and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, John and Ron didn't direct Tangled, I don't think. Um, I think they did. Did they do Tangled or were they working on, on something else? I'm, I'm well, we're going to double check. Um, but you definitely have that that, that Alan Menken um, element scoring it. And so if you compare those two scenes, I think 
you can see a lot entangled where they said, okay, we want to do this village scene. It's going to be like the same scene that we did in Little Mermaid. Let's give it some more room. Yes, um, you were right. It's Nathan Grano and Byron Howard. Howard. I, I was going to say Byron Howard. Man, I should have trusted myself. I'm like, I bet Byron Howard was was a director on that. Anyway, yeah. um, but I, I wonder if Alan was thinking about that in any of his interactions building that scene entangled is like well you know 20 years ago <laughs> which is the difference between little mermaid and yeah. tangled 20 years ago we did the sequence in the village and it went by really fast i don't think it was quite right so i'm gonna give it some more room and everything but like the same mickey mousing effect um and seeing the village yeah. and different different activities and probably everything. a little bit of like, not exactly, but kind of similar to, like, deja vu, being like, I've kind of done this before. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've done village stuff. I got yeah, this. Yeah, I got this. I can do um, this. But but I'm going to give it more breathing room. I'm going to, you know, expand it a little bit and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, and I think it's really effective. I think it I think it's stronger and tangled for being decompressed. Right. And this seems a little bit tight. When you think of it, especially in, in a comparison like that. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention was just all the things that... Um, we see. So before I get to that, sorry, I forgot. Uh, Ariel looks behind and underneath the yeah. carriage. The undercarriage. Yes, the undercarriage to see the horse feet clop. I assumed she was trying to see how wheels worked. Oh, uh, like I always presumed it was about the mechanical effect I, of wheels because there wouldn't be wheels typically. I in... always thought it was just the horses, but I mean, possibly both because you know, horse. Um, I mean, she's not used to legs in general, yeah. so horse legs yeah. would be interesting. But I also thought wheels would yeah. be a thing. Um, and, and seeing land move underneath her like that, you know, angles and everything. Yeah. She's just interested. It's yeah. human stuff. I think her bow may have disappeared in that shot, but... It might just be obscured because of the way her hair is hanging. Yeah. So we'll blame it on that. Okay. The next thing I wanted to get to was we get to this like bird's eye view of the village. Village square space. Of the village mm -hmm. square space. And I wanted to touch on the things that I saw there. Okay. I, I also want to talk a little bit about that. The big one I pulled out was the fountain. And I was like, a lot of fountains in the middle of the village square in Belle. Disney movies. And it immediately made me think of Belle. Because yeah. there's also like some sheep walking through <laughs> the village. Sheep, yeah. Yes. I was like... Okay, I don't know what the deal is with sheep and fountains in village squares. This one's way less provincial. This is yeah. this is a town mm -hmm. instead of a village, I think. Or well, I guess in Belle she sings about it being a provincial town. Little town. But it's, it's a quiet also quiet village. village. So it's a village and a town. So what's this one? Because city feels too big. Um, um But it but it seems more established and more built up than yeah there are bigger buildings Bell's you can town. you can see i saw in a corner there's like something you would see for a european town that like led to the sewers kind of stuff possibly or the or like a sea like the sea running underneath or the yeah and or this something. town was really interesting because it's like it's built very adjacent to the water yeah. And so it's like with if the tide comes up, there might be pathways that help yeah. you go directly out. There's like a small dock element, mm -hmm. but there's also water running down. The, kind of a lot of waterfalls here. Yeah, which like some of the waterfalls, and I'll talk about this in a couple episodes, um, probably on Friday, I think. But some of the the waterfalls, I'm like, where are those coming from? 
doesn't quite make sense. Is that coming off of a tree? Is that coming out of a building? Like, some of these I'm just... Well, and it makes me wonder because there's definitely... Coastal waterfall stuff is not necessarily the same as um, as landlocked waterfall stuff. Yeah. So, like, we live in an area where there's a lot of mountains and there's there's snow runoff and that leads to waterfalls. Right? Yeah. So, there are waterfalls in the mountains near yeah. us. And that's definitely not what they're dealing with here. Right. And so, there can be situations where you have, um, like, caverns and stuff where the water pressure pushes water up some of the coastal space and creates waterfalls and it's not river runoff waterfalls. Yeah. And so you can get into different situations or, or like tidal pools that are slowly pouring water back into the ocean, depending on the tide ranges yeah. and, and everything. So right. it can be some weird, weird stuff. Yeah. Um, but some of it like definitely doesn't seem to quite make sense. I'm like, I don't see how there could be enough water right there yeah. to have a waterfall right yeah. now. But with the bird's eye view, these are the things that I saw immediately. Um, There's the carriage that Ariel and Eric are in, and the horse is drinking from the fountain. Yes. And Ariel is getting down from the carriage. There are, there's a street lamp right by the fountain. I'm assuming it's like oil lit. Most likely. Like with matches and and stuff. Very unlikely. Based on our our speculations, very unlikely to be electrical light. Yes. Yes. (laughs) A few years too early. Yes. Which I have another I have another thing um, later this week that we'll talk about timing time um, where this this movie takes place time period time period thank you then there's lots of animals I saw seagulls saw horses there are a couple dogs there's quite a few sheep and then there's a shot of chickens mm-hmm. right there's a close up of the chickens yes there are people carrying fish on a long rod two people mm-hmm. carrying two fish coastal village yep makes sense there's children playing with balls and i think a dog i think they're playing with a dog too i saw at least two dogs and it seemed like some of the children were chasing one of them yes so and then there are other children running around and there are people buying things and walking through the village and there's another one there's another thing that i just caught there's a couple of li- women carrying like baskets of stuff on their heads others are carrying them Quite a- possibly around laundry. them or or by their sides mm-hmm. but those were a couple of things that i saw and then when we get to the shot immediately after the chickens after we see the chickens we see ariel and she's just looking around excitedly it seems like she's more towards like one of those streets and not in the center of the town mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah, and the carriage exploring. is gone. So it, it seems like we've just cut to them exploring. Yeah. Well, and I don't think like, I'm pretty sure from the bird's eye view, you don't see the chickens come into frame. And so it's no. got to be cutting into something. Yeah. And by the end of this week, we have to cut a lot of time. Yes. So yeah. they're, they're moving along. Yeah. That's all I had for this. Oh, there is one more thing I wanted to okay. mention. Her dress. Yes, this is Ariel's village dress. Yes. We have her big bow. Blue. Blue. We have her white um, or light blue. I, I, would, I would say it seems light blue a lot of the time. It seems light blue a lot of the time, but a lot of people who cosplay this... Or you would go with white. You would which go is with white. more striking because it's a dark blue skirt, isn't it? It's a... Uh, it's black blouse and then a dark blue skirt. Yeah, so she's got, like, the light blue or the white kind of shirt um, and sleeves and then sort of, like, a bodice. Um, corset. Corset type thing um, that seems black. And then yes. dark blue skirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then black flats. I, I thought they had a slight heel. Um, they do the, have a slight heel. During the dance. You're right. They you're have, right. like, a very minor heel. Yes. 
I don't think Aria is very well equipped to handle significant heals. No, but we'll talk about that tomorrow because I have, I'm not about that, but the dance is tomorrow. Okay. There's one more thing that I wanted to mention that doesn't pertain to this particular scene. It pertains to last week's. Okay. We can, we can talk about it. Okay. Which we had recorded three years ago. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe we did talk about it, but just in case. No, we did not talk about this. We talked about it just briefly. Maurice Chevalier. Oh, Maurice Chevalier. Maurice Chev- Chevalier. Okay, so during Le Poissons, that's one of the things Marie that, Chevalier. that uh, Chef Louis, performed by René Abergenois, mm-hmm. says. We've talked about who Maurice Chevalier... Chev- Cheval- che- <laughs> Chevalier. Chevalier. Yeah. Um, There's we, only a ya we, at the he, end. He's like a, a famous French, a French performer. performer. Yeah. He... Scenes. So we, we, we found a Disney connection, yes, right? We found after a- after the recording of that week, um, we found the Disney connection that made it extra entertaining because at some point, is, is it right that I'm taking yeah. over yes, like this do. story? Um, because I remember hearing about it on, I think it would have been on Disney Magic Hour. We listen to a lot of and, Disney podcasts. And I think we watched the movie too yes, and, and it saw had it. his name. Yeah. Um, so, but the, like the expanded version of the story is Maurice Chevalier. Chevalier. Man, we do not know a word of French <laughs> to say this. I it took three years of it, um, and my mom speaks fluent French. <laughs> uh, Marie Chevalier, uh, like, had wanted to collaborate with Disney movies, right? He had, he had had a desire, and it never worked out to to be that, like, he had a big part or, or sang a song or anything uh, until they were able to work out a small, it's basically a cameo feature for the Aristocats. He sings the opening song, um, which is the credits, and it has kind of the sketchy drawings of of the cats, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure. Um, And so he finally was able to collaborate with Disney movie, in this case, one set in Paris. Uh, And so, you know, he, he lends the French... Uh, effect to the opening of the Aristocats. Yes. That is where Maurice Chevalier actually connects to Disney prior to this moment. Yeah. So I wanted to touch on that, that we had come up with something for mm-hmm. Maurice Chevalier. Well, and then, and then you know, it, it's fun to have that connection be from, from Chef Louis. Yes. Um, you know, with all his, his French affect. Even though this is happening decades before Maurice Chevalier. Right. Well, yes, like, <laughs> but but yes, yeah. Little Mermaid is occurring before Chef Louis is being performed. Well, after yes, um, and all that sort of yes. stuff. But yeah, it was it was very satisfying to see the name and be like and 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 have it all come together. It's like, wait, I know, I know that name. <laughs> I remember that guy. Yeah. Why did we not find the Disney connection in our original research? I don't know, but it, it wasn't on the Wikipedia page. I assume. Yeah. Um, as one of his, his distinguished credits. Yeah. But there is a Disney connection. Yes. Um, that that pays off. Um, so I wanted to touch on that. Okay. That is totally fair. Moved on. All right. Anything else? No. That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre, and you can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to the Patreon page where you can support all the Dueling Genre productions. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute, on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com, and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. We want to thank the Movies by Minutes community in general, and if you are interested in finding other Movies by Minutes 
podcasts that you can listen to, consume, and, and engage with, then we recommend moviesbyminutes.com. Great website. That is going to be the go-to place to see what is available, um, not, not what's necessarily coming up. Um, there's always people who are working on new things, pre-production and everything like that, but things that are available for you to check out and listen to great place for that we want to thank scott tofty and nick english for our our theme music and for the artwork that is attached to our show respectively and until next time thank you for making us part of your world 